This, this is Brock and Salk. Brock Ewart is my hero. Jay Buter just punched me in the kidney. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports Station. Well, we're going to excuse you or I'm the interview. It doesn't really work that way, Sherm. This but, is a show that has my name on it. It kind of does, though. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen and Ballard. Now, here are your hosts, Brock Ewart and Mike Salk. Hello! Yes, and good morning. It is the Brock and Salk program here on Seattle Sports on 710, seattlesports.com, Seattle Sports app. Podcast platforms, you name it. Thanks for being with us. Thank you again. It's important, important that you're here. We've got really important things to discuss today and important people to discuss them with. The program. The program. Program. Yeah. I was I actually kind of love it when people say that. I've I, a long time ago decided, you know, you like you start hearing words for the first time, you're like, that's the way I'm gonna use it for the rest of my life. Oh. I wanted to say program a long time ago. As opposed to program? Yeah. Okay. I don't know. It just sounds right. Just I thought you right. meant like you really wanted to refer to this as a radio program. A program. I think that when you say program, though, you have to be talking about like a college football program. I don't think you can be talking about like a television show or radio show or something like that. That's a program because yeah. it's from programming, not programming. I, I get it. Right? So but It's like I remember the first time I heard wrestling versus wrestling. Oh, wrestling is <laughs> no. Stop. That's just makes me just makes me physically uncomfortable over here. No, thank you. Um, I have a you, question. You have just a grudge against wrestling every time. We make it yeah. Up. Me? Yeah. I like wrestling. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I That's like a sport in school. And you oh, really you mean like, oh, like college and high school wrestling. Yeah. I, I got like a grudge Greco, against that. Greco-Roman wrestling. <laughs> I thought you meant like pro wrestling. Like, yeah, I don't mind that. I've, I've done that. I've gone to that. I haven't done it <laughs> I was personally. Like, wait, what? Yeah. You don't know. I used to be <laughs> known as. Uh, <laughs> what do you think? I've been, Fantastic wrestling name. I've been playing a heel for 15 years. It's <laughs> basically been my job. What's your signature move? Uh, mostly to curse on the air like I did <laughs> yeah. yesterday and have to dump myself. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Uh, no, my favorite. I heard, I heard my dump. Well, I don't. No, never mind. I don't want to say Your dumping like, skills? Is that yeah, what you're about, I was about to, to say? Yeah, about to say that. No. I heard that I mashed it up perfectly to where people didn't even realize. No one knew. I don't, Come on. Yeah, I don't want to call that. Say my, it again. No, Let's go. Nope. <laughs> Perfect escape. Uh, I'm sorry that you figured that out mid-sentence. That would have been uh, a lot more fun. All right. I got a dumb a dumb sports question for you guys today, but maybe you guys will have an answer for it. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't tell you about this ahead of time. How do you know when someone has replaced the greatest of all time? How do you know when there's a new one? Hmm. Like, well, oh, okay. I thought you meant like when someone leaves and then somebody has to try to be them. No, I mean, they have to start surpassing some of those accomplishments, right? Start breaking some of those records, start winning some of the same titles, right? the same number of titles. It's funny how it it seems to, it doesn't seem to happen at one moment. It seems to almost like a bridge collapsing. It's like in like tears, like it just keeps like, like, like falling down. So... I noticed it only because I was uh, reading something recently. The uh, I think it was the Athletic nationally was doing um, a ranking of the 100 best hockey players of all time. I don't know if you saw that, but they're calling it the Great 99 because they're like, look, we all know who number one is, and so it's the 99 guys after Gretzky, and that's his number. And so I was like, yeah, obviously Gretzky's still going to get listed as number one. I think they have Mario Lemieux number two, and it kind of goes from there. But how do you know? Like, how did we know when Gretzky replaced? whether it was, you know, whoever you thought it was, Gordie Howe or Bobby Orr or whomever, how do we know if and when Connor McDavid or Sidney Crosby or somebody one day eventually replaces Gretzky? How do you how do you know when the eras are so different? And I know people have been debating this with LeBron and Michael Jordan for ages now. 
right? They've been looking for for that that next answer. I, I think the LeBron one is interesting because in the post-Jordan era, right? And I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about the NBA. I would sound foolish if I did. I, I, I don't watch a lot of it. But if you go back, I don't know, whatever it is now, 15 years or so, into the post-Jordan era, do you remember all of the conversations about the next Jordan, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. right? Is it going to be Vince Carter? Is it going to be Penny Hardaway? They, they talked about all these guys as being the next Jordan, Kobe Bryant, etc. And at the end of the day, when LeBron either equaled or surpassed Jordan, we didn't even need to talk about it that way. He just was. Do you know what I mean? Right. We didn't need to talk about it. Maybe you think Kobe did. I don't know. I don't I don't think Kobe did. I to me, I, and that's not a shot at Kobe. I think he fell short of Jordan's I don't know, dominance. I guess the word would be, and maybe there are folks that say the same thing about LeBron because of the, you know, the title differences or whatever it is. But I think LeBron doing it with three teams and everything else he's done is just a a pretty spectacular record. And he's, I think he's probably now the best of all time, but how do you know? I I was going to say, I think I go by like the coaches who were there for those eras who then compare the new player to said player or say, I've never seen it since. Right. Or something. I think I had to have somebody who was there to watch it personally for that context. Yeah, I think that's a it's a good one, right? Because I, there's plenty of guys from the 60s and 70s, even early 80s that I don't remember or didn't know that I, I find it really hard. How do I know how good Bob Gibson was? I've heard stories. I can see, you know, grainy Sasquatch videotape of him yeah, exactly. and try to determine whether or not that's the same as, you know, what I get to see now with the tail on the curveball and everything else that we can do in the modern game. I don't know how to judge that. Right. I, I, I find that so challenging. And so. Well, and it varies in sports like we. I think a lot of people you hear about Johnny Unitas. But again, you're not going to be able to really judge him against the modern game. And, how can you? But. In baseball, Babe Ruth is still considered one of the greatest. Yeah, it's but, not like we got to watch him or can really compare him. Yeah, to- and 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 I don't know whether it's fair to do that either. Like, should we even consider him one of the greatest? I don't know. Look, this is an an old sports argument. I'm not I'm not breaking any new ground here this morning with this debate. But I did find myself thinking about it and how numbers and the game changes. So I was. Uh, Chris Bassett, you know who he is, the pitcher, I think he's with Toronto now, was pointing out that if somebody stole 50 bases a year for, what did he say, the next 28 years, they wouldn't equal Ricky Anderson. Yeah. <laughs> what are we doing? Yeah. Right? And 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 yet the game is so thoroughly different now from when Ricky played because while he was the greatest base stealer certainly of that era and probably of all time, there were other guys of that era who were in his league. Not saying they were as good, but Vince Coleman and Tim Raines and some of those guys of that time, they maybe didn't get to Ricky's level, but they were really darn close, right? They were stealing bases at a similar clip for at least a little while. Maybe they didn't sustain it the way Ricky Henderson did. And so, I don't know, like, so if somebody now only steals 40 bases and does that every year, never comes close to Ricky Henderson, were they not as good or do they play in a completely different era with pitchers who, you know, guarded against it differently in a game that completely changed it? And now we're going to completely change it again with the pickoff rules. And so I, I don't know. I, I love the debates because it's fun to kind of compare and contrast. But I feel like at some point all of it just comes down to your gut feel. 
exactly. that you can throw yeah. out all the numbers, you can throw out all the championships. You, you're always going to have some level of bias based on where you live, who you rooted for, who you saw more of, who dominated your team, who did you see your team dominate, what happened in one big game. Those things, I think, are always going to affect your view on who the greatest is. And I th- You know, you talk about certain players almost as if they're like they've reached a mythical level mm-hmm. of something that I think that's the other like marker when I hear people talk about, but can you reach the it? mythical in your own life? I maybe you can, maybe sure. Brady has done that. Maybe Tom Brady is mythical mm-hmm. to a point now where, I mean, there's just so many freaking championships. I mean, when you've got opponents coming up to you after the game, just like, I'm just so thankful I got to play against you. I want like, autograph. I think he has, he, yeah, he reached that. Whereas LeBron's got kids coming up to him saying, hey, you played against my dad. Like, yeah. Trying to crush him in that way. I mean, yeah, I, yeah, I'm sure that's part of it. My, um, the other argument that I, I don't know is where do you draw the lines and eras? Like, is it certain baseballs? Fluid, is it right? uh, certain rules? Isn't it fluid? I mean, there's the steroid era, but some guys kind of came before, like Bonds yeah. certainly did a lot of his damage before the steroid era and before he was on the juice and then, you know, became everything that he did afterwards if you read Game of Shadows. So, I don't know. I, I found myself thinking a little bit about it this morning and, and how how challenging it is to to differentiate and compare and how at the end of the day we just go with our gut. Right, yeah, like, and, and and if it and if it happened probably during your teenage years, it's probably who you're pointing at. <laughs> like, hey, sorry, that guy was the best when I was a teenager. That's probably who I'm going to say. And yet, I don't know. I guess there's some like for me, no one will ever top Lawrence Taylor, and I, I can't, like, I can't bring myself to put a defensive player ahead of him. I don't know what that player would have to do, but my memories of being a kid and watching LT are so strong. And he was so mythical at that time that for me, like, I don't know. I mean, Aaron Donald could have 25 sacks a year for 10 years. And I'd be like, meh. Well, you've didn't got change some, the game like LT. You've got some backup there. I mean, Belichick, who's considered one of the best coaches in the game, will still hands down every yeah. time someone asks him, say LT was the best defensive player he ever But saw. he's even more biased than I am. I mean, like, that's his guy, right? Mm-hmm. But like, you don't think he's at fallen in love with any other defensive players and how like many LT, years he's coached? Nor well, should he. To me, that's the argument. Though. <laughs> right. As long as the final answer of this conversation is that LT, LT. was the greatest of all time, <laughs> then I feel like we've really accomplished something here. I mean, he did have some performance on the field, on the field of all time. We need to talk about what he was doing off the field. That's a disaster. On the field, uh, goat defensively and make no mistake. That's uh, a story I'm going to stick to. All right. uh, Big time changes coming to our second most interesting team. It's next. Brock and Salk, Sales Sports on 710. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, as the date to franchise quarterbacks gets closer, the Seahawks will have to make a decision at the quarterback position, of course. And while we've used that deadline as a potential spot to see a decision, Bob Condota joined Bump and Stacy yesterday, said, actually, that would kind of surprise them. I would be stunned anyway if they signed into a contract that had a cap number for this year anywhere close to that. $30 million obviously would make it far more difficult to do anything for, for the team this year. So you don't want to have to do that. And they do have some other things they need to do. They're probably going to have to, you know, uh, cut a few players or maybe restructure a few contracts of some veteran guys. Shelby Harris and Quentin Jefferson and Gabe Jackson and kind of have or, or maybe three veterans you look at who have contracts that you could do something with to kind of free up some more money to do some things and to try to fit Geno. 
Yeah, so it's interesting. Maybe the idea of the franchise tag doesn't make sense from a salary cap standpoint, even if signing him to a deal at the level of the salary cap does because you can kind of maneuver that money around on a multi-year deal. So what do you do, Lewis Riddick, joining us yesterday? You know, wasn't the reason why this team couldn't take a further step or, or a further jump this year. And I don't think that cap space is necessarily something that you have to safeguard to the degree where if you have some more cap space and you do get a young quarterback in there, that that cap, cap space that you will then gain will allow you to go out and get some players that will get you over the hump with a young quarterback. I don't necessarily believe that to be the case. So he says to pay the man and, and give him roughly, you know, somewhere in that range of where the salary, uh, where the franchise tag would be. Look, I get it, and I, it does seem to be the prevailing wisdom among those in the business. We've talked to Brady Henderson. We've talked to Lewis Riddick. We've talked to others who all seem to think, yes, if you can get him done on a multi-year deal somewhere in that range, it should work. I guess that I'm totally okay with that. As I said, I'd be very happy to have Geno Smith as the quarterback here for the next couple of years. As long as you get creative, as long as you free up cap space, and as long as you make sure your defense is not just a little better, but significantly better than it's been the last few years, if you can pull that off while keeping Geno Smith your quarterback, I am 100% all for it. Here's the second thing you need to know. Well, after what it seemed like forever, the Kraken finally, finally get back to business this afternoon on Long Island. Even better, they should be pretty darn healthy. Matty Beneers, Jaden Schwartz, Justin Schultz, all returning to practice yesterday. Even goalie Chris Drieger has been out all year long with an ACL. He participated for the first time as well. So uh, that's all really good news. First practice as well for new defenseman Jacob Megna. So it was a busy, uh, busy ice busy rink. Some interesting line pairings. Beneers playing with Burkowski and Schwartz. Borgen remained on the second pairing with Alexiak, so if you pay attention to those things, a uh, little shake-up, minor shake-up, I guess, for Coach Dave Haxtall. Might take a few days for Megna to get himself situated. He's just had to fly across the country and join a new team, so see whether or not he's actually in there tonight or whether that's more in the next couple days. And I just continue to look at this group and say, wow, first three lines are good, but it's the fourth line that just jumps out at you. Tanev, Sprong, and Donato three guys that should all be top nine forwards who are all playing on the fourth line for the Kraken. You want to know why they've had success this year? It's their depth, first and foremost, and their ability to score with all four lines. Here's the third thing you need to know. Well, things are going to change in Denver, and it's very clear now who's in charge. It's not Russell Wilson. His name is Sean Payton, and he is not here to let Russ run the show anymore. How do you feel about players having their own people off the staff in the building access to players? Yeah, that's foreign to me. That That's not going to take place here. I mean, I, I'm, I'm unfamiliar with it. But our staff will be here, our players will be here, and that'll be it. Yeah, it seems a little mean to single out Jake Heaps. Right before that, DMAC actually drops Jake's name into it, which just seems unfair. But the message is more about special treatment, right? And even more about special access. And I completely understand why he doesn't want that to happen anymore. I don't think Russ is alone in having a personal coach. I don't think there's anything wrong with having a personal coach, and I don't see Jake getting fired or anything else, but I do see him being moved out of the building. Baseball players all have swing coaches. Plenty of football players train with specific coaches. Tom Brady had his own throwing coach, but the free access, that's where you get a hot-button issue because of what it represented, that Russell was different from everybody else and treated in a different way. And obviously, Sean Payton is making it pretty clear that he's the one in charge, not Russell Wilson. 
How does Russ handle it? At first, I would think he handles it fairly well. And then it'll depend on how successful they are because he's got his legacy that he's got to protect. There you go. It's everything you need to know. Uh, interesting that um, just starting to get news trickling out of Arizona for the Super Bowl, right? Last night was sort of their media day, media night thing, and it's kind of continuing today with all the interviews down there. I don't know. I, I, I'm i not big into the whole lead up to the Super Bowl thing unless your team is in it. I, I'm, I'm excited to watch. And I think this Super Bowl, by the way, is going to be incredible. I am head over well, I don't heels. I not you to jinx that one either because you said that about the AFC Championship games. I know. <laughs> I know. Well, what are you going to do? One of them was very good. One was good. Well, the I other mean, the guy got hurt. I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, that it could have been a great game. Poor dude got hurt. But two of them, really. Um, I think this is going to be an epic Super Bowl. I think this is going to be one of those, I have no idea who's going to win. Both teams are well built. Both teams don't have a lot of weaknesses. Like, I am psyched for this game. Fun matchups. And it doesn't make me want to watch, like, the entertaining Super Bowl stuff like last night at all. I don't care even a little. It's really hard for me to get into that stuff. Didn't even know it was on. I know, right? Like, it, and I saw people tweeting about it, and I was like, "Man, I don't care. I'm not going to turn that on. Like, I, that's not worth it to me. I'm busy working, kids, this, that, and the other. Like, I don't know. You, you got to impress me in order to get me to turn the TV on and watch something like that. And it just doesn't do it. So I, I'm not going to sit here focusing on you know the silly stuff that comes out of the Super Bowl at least as of today. But I am pumped for this game. I think it's going to be an all-timer. I think this is a great, great matchup. The Andy Reid factor is kind of cool. But that isn't even, like, it. Like, that's sort of a nice side story. But I see this as just two teams that are built a little bit differently, but both hit hard. Both are offensive you know, firepower. Both have defenses that can get after the quarterback. I think Philadelphia is a better team. After watching them the last few weeks, and maybe it's just the competition, I think Philly's a better team. But I have no idea who's going to win because the best player on the field plays for Kansas City. Mm -hmm. And so what does that look like? No clue. (laughs) But I can't wait to watch. All right. Coming up next, uh, we've talked a lot about Seahawks decisions that they have to make. Who did they see at the Senior Bowl that might be a big fit here in Seattle? Lewis Riddick was there, and he joins us next. This this is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports Station. All right, Senior Bowl over the weekend as we get ready for the Seahawks having the best draft capital of our entire time doing shows here, Brock, in the 14 years or so that we've uh, been on and off the air. So let's talk to Lewis Riddick, who uh, studies this stuff. Lewis, you were there this weekend, right? Were you at the Senior Bowl? It sure was. So what do we think? It what, sure was. What stood out? First of all, how are you? It's good to have you on the show. I'm, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Um, Senior Bowl is always one of the best events because it kind of really gets your, your mind focused on the off-season off building phase of the NFL, which I think really, really, it kind of, it, it kind of holds people people's attention about how you know teams are really built because there's so much varying opinions about how te- people think teams should be built in the offseason everybody is hopeful so everyone feels as though they can make the super bowl the following year just by a couple free agency or draft moves which is what makes i, I think the offseason is probably more a more opinionated time in the calendar year than even the season because like i said everyone feels as though their team with the right moves can be a team that's playing in the Super Bowl the following year. Although 
we know that some teams just can't get out of their own way, and probably the usual suspects are going to always be there. But it's not terribly outrageous because Jackson, Jacksonville no, can not. get the right coach and turn and, and the Giants right. can play to the right system. And, you know, Philly can draft Jalen Hurts in the second round and, and build an RPO game with big physical dudes around him and, and build a complete mm-hmm. – I mean, it. yeah, maybe at the final step of it, Lewis, I mean, to, to go all the way through the gauntlet and all the playoffs, maybe you're right, There's there are usual suspects – but as far as the playoffs go, and, and heck, right here in our market, <laughs> you saw it in August. Not many other people did. Yeah. But even in this market, you get rid of Bobby, you move on from us, and all of a sudden, you're still a playoff team. So it's not terribly yeah. outrageous for fans to to have that kind of hope because this sport turns it faster than any of the other professional sports. Yeah, and I don't I don't mean to be a curmudgeon, and I, I, I you know maybe I maybe it came off that way, which is definitely not my intent. Because look. In Jacksonville, I believe that when Doug Peterson got hired, that he would turn that thing very quickly because of the young talent that they had, because of the impact he would have on Trevor, and because how it would be such a 180 from the kind of culture and atmosphere that had existed there in 2021, which was insufferable. And obviously, you know, with Seattle coming out there for trading camp, I thought right away, I said, you know, this team is fast. This team's loose. This coach is motivated. These players feel as though they have a lot to prove given that, you know, it's been a whole leadership change out with the old in with the new. Some, you know, players felt as though they could express themselves, spread their wings, that they could grow, that they could assert themselves. And I was like, he's going to be a lot better than people think. <laughs> so you're right. I'm not, I'm not trying to throw cold water on teams and on franchises that may have had, they have been down on their luck and say that they can't turn it around. That's true. They can. I guess I should say, Brock, I should say this. I guess it's case by case. Uh, and it goes much further than just get a couple good players. I'm a big believer in how the program is run from day to day, as far as making, you know, allowing the talent that you have to actually become winners on the football field. That's why I believe so much in Pete when we talk to him out there, because I've always believed in Pete. I've always been a guy who thought, man, I would have loved to have played for that guy. And I've always believed in guys like Doug Peterson, who I believe are great, great communicators who don't, who do it a diff- in a different way than maybe the coaches that I was coached by, who were some of the greats of all time. And I, and I think, man, I wonder how I would have been under guys like that who have a different way of going about it. Well, you know? I think basically what you're saying is every team can turn it around unless they're the Jets or maybe the Browns. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I, I think some, well, you know, some, some places, like, like I'm saying, like just broken. They, they just, you know, it, it's from, it's, it's the structure. It's not really the structure. I guess it's the people who make up the components of the structure mm-hmm. and then how it's run and how it's, and then how it's managed from day to day that just, doesn't give them a chance. I don't care how many good players they may have at certain positions. They just can't. It, it's too hard. I mean, you guys know that the season's too long. There's too many things that have to go the right way. It's hard to win in spite of bad culture or bad organizational functionality. It's just too hard. In spite of is not a good recipe in the NFL. All right, so, win because of. so let's talk some Seahawks uh, as we start thinking about the yeah. draft and, and maybe we'll, we'll do, maybe this will involve the senior bowl. Maybe not. But I mean, the biggest question right. here obviously is what do you do with the fifth overall pick? If you are John Schneider, Pete Carroll and the Seahawks. Yeah, I think it's going to be, it's got to be 
Well, I shouldn't say it's got to be. I, I, I would lean towards thinking that it's probably going to be a defensive impact player, primarily on the first two levels of the defense, probably fast rusher or D tackle. Whoever is the guy that can really give them some playmaking ability to one, create negative runs, you know, capture the line of scrimmage and get them the third down and then be able to sack quarterbacks, turn over the football, give the offensive more chance. They just don't, they don't have anybody really up there. They need more, they need more people. Mm -hmm. They need more people on the impact players there. And they need somebody in the secondary as well. They need another guy on the edge because you know, Tariq's going to have one side locked down now for the who knows how long Then he's just only going to get better. They need another one. They need another playmaker back there to go along with them. So really, it's all three levels, just however, however you want to prioritize it. I would assume it'll be up front because that's how they, they're great teams in the past. They had great pass rushers. They had impact players up front. Yes, they had good players in the secondary. Don't get me wrong. The Legion was second to none. But I, I would assume that it'll be a player on that side of the ball unless, unless they feel as though even though as we negotiate with Gino and maybe lock him up for the intermediate term, that he still ultimately is going to be a bridge to someone else who they turn it over to, to be the true franchise quarterback, unless that's their thinking, which I don't know. Mm. Uh, we'll get to Gino here in just a second. Uh, he is Lewis Riddick, uh, the voice, the man, the legend over there at ESPN does such a terrific job. And, and you've become just awesome in this, in this draft seat, sitting there, uh, capturing the draft. And I think one thing you and I may have in common, Lewis, and you can shoot it down if it's mm. if I'm wrong. But uh, this last weekend, I was at a, at a service, a memorial service, and um, I had to read a very long script, um, nine pages. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I loved printing it out and putting it in a binder. I had a three-hole punch. Mm-hmm. I put that hole punch uh-huh. in. I put it in the binder. And when I see you on the set there on draft day, man, your, your freaking binder is so big. You know, you got that big mm-hmm. binder in front of you. How much do you enjoy, and at what stage are we at right now with that binder getting ready for the draft in a couple months? Yeah, what's interesting is, you know, a lot of the stuff, any kind of binder that I have up there, to be perfectly honest with you, is probably like support information about players. The stuff that is mine, Brock, I have really moved towards putting stuff. There's a couple of really cool apps that you can really organize stuff well on, on iPads. And I got I hope nobody ever steals my iPad or it never breaks down on draft night. Otherwise I am screwed, dude. I mean, absolutely. I'm dead in the water, but I have every, I have everything on there that I can get to really quickly. And right now I'm starting to organize all that. I, I have all the different positions broken down. I know like the top 100 players that I'm going to focus in on you know, like say over the next month in particular, by the time we get to the draft, I probably will have put my eyes on and can talk very detailed of about 350 players or so, which is a ton, mm-hmm. probably as much, as many as I've ever looked at because, you know, I, I, the first two nights are the nights that I really focus in on hard. The third night, I mean, that's really, that's Mel and Todd, baby. They love that day. And so do I. But I, I'm I'm in the process of really identifying. Here are the guys I'm going to dig in on. I've obviously looked at a bunch of these dudes who were down at the Senior Bowl, but it's a it's a it's a slow grind mm-hmm. from now until April. Biggest, and um, believe big, me, there's a lot of sleepless nights, man. Biggest impression that the week in Mobile made, either personnel, people, culture, guys. 
the biggest just um, imprint on you in your time in Mobile this year, this week, was what? I would have to say it's a, it's an individual player who I saw during the season when broadcasting Thursday night football, and to see him go off in the Senior Bowl and basically be considered the MVP of practice during the week was running back Todd Spears from Tulane. This guy, at five eleven, about two hundred maybe, is an absolute just lightning bolt of energy, big playability, toughness in pass pro quick feet vision in between the tackles can get it outside the tackles can take a screen and he's out the gate 70, 80 yards in no time. The consensus was amongst people down there that he was the most electrifying player in practice. <laughs> and I saw him this, this, pre, this regular season against SMU on Thursday night football down at Tulane. And he'd absolutely just ripped, ripped SMU. And to see him then go up against some of the best, draft eligible players in the country and look like a standout. It makes you feel good because during the regular season, I thought when we saw him, not a whole bunch of people are going to really know Tajay Spears and or really care about Tulane because it's not a you know powerhouse P5 school. But to see him do that was, was, was awesome. To look at the offensive linemen and defensive linemen and some of the big men down there, which is always where everyone's attention goes to. When these guys go at it in one-on-ones, whether it be at the senior role, whether it be you know at the East, at the Shrine game, when these guys run and lift and do their workouts at the combine, that's where every single GM, personnel director, pro director, college director, position coach, their eyes go right there. Everyone is huddled around and they're all trying to get as close to these guys as possible. And there were some, there are some monsters, man. There are some freaking monsters coming out in this draft this year on both sides of the ball. And let, let me, here, I'll, I'll just give you a, uh, I'll give you one guy's name. Okay. And just remember this name for when he plays in the league next year. His name's Darnell Wright, the tackle from Tennessee, who switched from left tackle to right tackle at Tennessee this year down there in the SEC. And if you want to watch one game and say why this guy could be one of the most dominant tackles in not only college football, but as soon as he hits the scene in the pros, Watch his game against Will Anderson Jr. when they played uh, Alabama down in Tennessee this year. He absolutely owned the dude. (laughs) Smacking him around the entire game. And he did the same thing down at the Senior Bowl. And when I watch Philadelphia, okay, just to fast forward to the NFL right now, when I watch the way Philadelphia smacked around the New York Giants and then threw around the San Francisco 49ers, I'm going, I've never been a bigger fan of big men in the NFL. And as much as we love the perimeter guys and quarterback talk and wide receivers and doing the gritty and all, and Joe Burrow, I love them all. The big men is where the money is made. And that's where, as Mike Tomlin likes to say, the rubber meets the road. And there's some good ones coming up. And in this Super Bowl, this coming Sunday, we're going to see some of the very best we've ever seen. I think I think Jason Kelsey may be the best center we've ever seen. Hmm. Well, ever. Give us some names. So so at five and at 20, if you think the Seahawks should go defensive end, defensive tackle, or defensive tackle, defensive end, give us some names. Who should we pay? Who should we be paying attention to that well, might be available in those spots for them? Oh, wow, man. Um, I mean, I've seen names like Anything. I've seen names like Tyree Wilson, who's an edge player from Texas Tech. You like him? Um, 
I, I have only watched them a very little bit. I don't see this, this is where like right now it's, it's so early in my process that okay. I'm not going to, I can't really predict, Catch me in about a month, All right, and I'll yeah. tell you what. I'll talk to you for about an hour. All about right. All right. We, okay, we'll, let, we'll let put me, you on the spot now. It's, it's, it's too early. It's too early. For We're going to have you put right your now. GM cap on instead, Lewis. We'll, we'll forget about individual yep. players there. Let's put your GM yep. cap on because we got a decision to make here in Seattle. They got Geno Smith yep. sitting out there, Drew Locke sitting out there. Right now, the Seahawks don't have a quarterback in their quarterback yep. room. We know the franchise mm-hmm. tag is $32.4 million. We know Geno performed at a close to an elite level this year. We've been throwing around somewhere in the 30 to $35 million a year number. Uh, but yep. if you pay that, can you make yourself better enough to be better than you were this year? Are you paying Geno Smith 30 something million dollars a year? If you're John Schneider. Yes, I am. I am because I do believe this. I do believe Look, your margin for error shrinks, obviously, when there's more cap dollars allocated to the, to the quarterback position. But it's not an automatic death sentence and a, and a recipe for mediocrity if you have to pay your quarterback. And then all of a sudden now you can't – see, what, what people automatically equate this to is, well, I then can't go out in free agency and just buy up a bunch of guys. I can't spread it around and get all these other guys that I want. Okay, I, I, I know that that sounds great in theory, and, and it should be great in theory to be able to try and take advantage of that window of, of a cheaper quarterback or a quarterback on his, uh, on his rookie contract. But I can tell you this, based on the way that they drafted this year and the return on investment they got with their draft picks this year and the hall of pick that they have this year coming up, look at what Kansas City did as far as their rookies this year. Look at the, look at the return they got on their rookies this year. They got six guys playing on defense right now that are key, key contributors that help. Prop- now, I know Patrick Mahomes is a guy. Well, people say, well, when you have Patrick, you can get away with that. Okay, I'll give you that to some degree. I'll give you that. But Geno wasn't the reason why this team couldn't take a further step or, t- or a further jump this year. And I don't think that cap space is necessarily something that you have to safeguard to the degree where if you have some more cap space, and you do get a young quarterback in there, that that cap, cap space that you will then gain will allow you to go out and get some players that will get you over the hump with a young quarterback. I don't necessarily believe that to be the case. So let me th- really don't. let me throw this scenario at you then, because I, I, I love the argument. We've been going back and forth on this. But what if you decide mm-hmm. to not sign Geno Smith? You sign Drew yeah. Locke, who you say you like a lot. I mean, Pete and John have both been adamant about how great Drew was this year. You save some $25 million or whatever it is by doing so. You mm-hmm. sign Deron Payne and you trade for Max Crosby. Which team is better? Drew Locke, Max Crosby, Deron Payne, or Geno Smith? Look, I, I think the gulf between what Drew Locke could do and what Geno Smith did, did this year to be Grand Canyon esque. Mm. I don't care how much they say they like him. I don't. I don't see it. I believe that drop off would be so significant and so dramatic that Deron Payne, he better be Warren Sapp and Aaron Donald combined when he gets there, and Max Crosby better be Max time that he's already great. I, I just don't. I don't see that. I, I don't see that as being a situation where then they improve on their record this year and take another step. I, do, I don't see it. Don't see it. 
Okay. Uh, you've got 300 players taped to watch. It's busy time. It's Super Bowl week. We got to let you go. But I got to just end on this <laughs> because you and I uh, totally agree. And I think over my years of doing broadcasts, I think I started very quarterback heavy and, and you know, perimeter heavy. And now I love nothing more than highlighting big men and difference makers on the O-line, D-line. Mm-hmm. So uh, tell me about that cat that's like the longest – wingspan in senior bowl history tell me about dewan jones six eight three seventy five i know the seahawks got their tackles and abe and charles were awesome but maybe you slide abe in heck you, you mentioned darnell maybe you slide abe in the right guard and you add darnell to the right like tell tell me about that thought and that big man as well was he as physically imposing and dominant as some of those measurables showed yeah he wasn't he didn't he didn't practice much down there. Mm. Um, I do know this though. I do know uh, talking to Jim Nagy, the executive director of the senior bowl, that when you see him up close and personal, you're talking about an 89 inch wingspan, (laughs) former high school basketball player who basically blocks out the sun and can move. So, those guys are transformational players that transform your entire offensive line, your entire offense, your entire team. You know, the only other guy who I, I can, the only guy who I could really picture when, when we were talking about him and when I've seen some of his tape is when I saw Trent Brown for the very first time in person, mm-hmm. the tackle for the Patriots, he used to be out. I, I thought, Oh my God, <laughs> that's, I mean, that's literally the word they came out of my mouth was, Oh my God. <laughs> And then I talked to him, and he's like a big kid in the face, right? He looks like he's in, like, ninth grade. And I'm going, dude, what the hell? How are you this damn big? And, yeah, those kind of guys, those kind of guys are absolutely, they're freak shows, man. They're freak shows. Yeah. And he's a freak show, and he's going to wow people when they get their eyes on him. When he walks across the stage at the combine, you're going to hear an audible gasp from grown men, like, <laughs> like that. Watch. Who's the biggest man you've behold if uh, you can get in there? Who's the biggest yeah. man you've ever seen in person? <laughs> the biggest guy? Yeah. Um Trent Brown might be one of them. Jonathan he, Ogden. He's not was... the most uh, he Yeah, he's big. I'll, I'll tell you what. I just had this conversation last night while I was sitting there at my at my son's basketball practice. Somebody asked me who's the best who's the who's the athlete that when you saw him on the field, literally you just kinda like couldn't stop staring at him. And I said, well, there was two. Well, one, when I saw LeBron James in person, mm-hmm. I thought, holy cow. I mean, this guy's got you know shoulders the size of a doorway. But the football player, when I saw Julius Peppers the first time, <laughs> warming up down in Carolina, and it was him and Mike Rucker and those guys, and Brenton Buckner, I believe. Was, but him and Mike Rucker it used to be the two ends for the Panthers. When I saw Peppers, I thought, that... <laughs> is what they're supposed to all look like mm-hmm. every single one of them, his, his muscles, his, his muscle fibers and his cast were like twitching like a racehorse. And he was all greased up. He was all greased up and his arms were just balls. And I'm sitting there and you know what? He saw me looking at him and he came over and he was like, he's like, Hey, how you doing? You know, Mr. Riddick. Is it? Cause I, I was scouting at the time and I was like, I was like, Julius, this, you know, I'm just sitting there. I couldn't even say anything. I'm just like, damn, this guy's a freak. And he was a kid at the time. Wow. A kid. The two for me would be Shaq. You ever see Shaq in person? 
I have not. Oh but my I, God. I have gone to Friedman. I have gone to Friedman Shoes in Atlanta. They had like a, a display <laughs> of one of his shoes. I can put both of my feet together and put my foot he's, in his shoe. He's gigantic. When you see Shaq in person, oh. it's nothing quite like that. My first time ever in. I've told Brock this a million times. My first time ever in an NFL locker room. I saw Willie McGinnis standing there. Uh, Willie from the yeah. from the front of his chest to the back of his chest is like four and a half feet. <laughs> yeah. You know what? What makes you, what, what, what's wild, man, is, yeah, I'm an old man now, but when I, I used to think, you know, we used to go out there, and Brock, you know how this is now. I mean, you'd be out there battling with these dudes. Bat- I mean, you didn't even really think about it much then. But when you think about it now, and you look at these guys now, and you look at how some of these kids are just, Yep. bigger and freakier than ever. The game is different. We can talk about the old days and how it used to be back then and how much more physical. And it was, it was, but the size and speed component of these guys mm-hmm. now is off the chart. Scary. Evolution is definitely in full effect. <laughs> Lewis. Uh, thank you. We just love talking to you. Love catching up with you. And as we get closer to the draft, uh, we'll see yeah, if we can man. hit you up again and start talking about some names. Seahawks are in such a fun, interesting spot with number five and then yeah. number 20 and two picks in the second round and everything else. So uh, we will look forward to talking to you as we get a little closer to April. Thank you so much. We appreciate thank it. Thank you, Lewis. Appreciate it so no much. No question, dude. All right. All right. Good stuff there from Lewis Reddick. I really enjoy him. He's one of my favorites that we have on. And I don't know, there's something about an ex-NFL guy who does scouting, et cetera, who's just like marveling at the size of these behemoths that they end up talking about and that we end up watching. So, all right. Hey, we got some new mocks out. Uh, I'm going to have to run some of these names by Brock and see what he thinks about them. Uh, Seahawks, there. tell you what, I've been thinking they'll trade the number 20 pick, but there is a name on one of these mock drafts at number 20 that would absolutely pique my interest. I don't know if it's what the Seahawks need, but if they did it, I couldn't be mad. It's next. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710 and seattlesports.com.